0: it's just, we all love food. You know, we had a great idea. We said, how do we do something a little bit more differently? And well, let's do it in the most difficult environment to prove that this model of development works. And that is, you're know, putting farmers first, putting marginalized communities first. We haven't discussed it, but our also our factory is, uh, it runs at about 85% uh, female workforce. In, and that's from day one. And we do all of the added value production, everything, you know, down to the Amazon case labeling in Afghanistan, because we said we wanted to create all that value and keep all that value in country, which has not been done before there in their, in their past 40, 50 years.
1: It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, Farm to Table happens, obviously, all around the world. We're going to go to the other side of the world from where I'm usually at today. We're going to go to Afghanistan, and I want to welcome Rafi bartanian who's the co-founder and ceo of Zeba food rafi welcome to farm to table talk Good
0: morning. thank you so much roger nice to be here
1: you know we have conversations about farm to table here in the states uh, i'm wondering do you have farm to table conversations in afghanistan uh,
0: no absolutely i, I think uh, um it's there's May not be, I, I think, the same cachet of, of restaurants and sort of the usage of the term, but the concept, I think, probably even originates there more than it does in in other parts of the world, because I think that's that's generally all there is. I mean, it, it, agriculture and uh, this practice, not only in dried fruits and nuts, but but in general stone fruits all the way all the way through, you know, is 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 a huge part of the not only the economy but also also, Afghan culture, the, sort of the, a proud tradition of of, of of growing amazing varieties of products.
1: Rafi, help me along a little bit, because I can picture farms in much of the world, and I've been able to get to a lot of places around the world. When I think of Afghanistan, I think that you would have uh, a lot of land that's similar to some of our Central Valley in California. That's,
0: that's absolutely right, but even, I would say, more... Uh, um, kind of majestic in some ways because the central Valley of California is this massive valley um that that you know has obviously extremely fertile land that's sort of been 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 great and as we are you know have, have discussed in the past you, you know the is is ironically was was originally sort of cultivated by many Afghan Armenian Persian sort of uh, uh, immigrants in the in the 1950s all the way to the 1970s but in Afghanistan, I, I think so much of the, the imagery that we've seen over the last 20 years has been these more desert-like, uh, really kind of landscapes absent of color uh, uh, and, and greenery. And that's generally where a lot of the fighting in the South has, has taken place. But moving further north to a lot of the agricultural lands in those areas are, are, are just <laughs> unbelievably green, beautiful, beautiful valleys.
1: I don't even know how to get into this because whenever I think of Afghanistan, there's been so much conflict. I feel sorry for the people of Afghanistan because they've gone everything from almost what last 50 years, there's been so much yes. turmoil. I can't uh imagine how you keep farming going, how you keep agriculture going, how you keep food businesses going, when you've had the, the Russians there, the Americans there, the conflicts there, and yet people still have to grow food and try to make a living as farming it's uh i can't even fathom how challenging that must be
0: it, it's it's been really inspirational to sort of understand how they've managed to do so throughout as you said the you know invasion of, of the russian invasion and then the civil war and then taliban 1.0 and then yeah uh, um, the allied force sort of involvement you know and constant sort of levels of insurgency uh, and and differing allegiances at a regional or district level uh, uh, for 20 plus years and now kind of a renewed Taliban, etc. But it, it, it is quite remarkable that a mainstay through all of this has been the trade and growth of you know particularly dried fruits and nuts. It's such it's it, it almost supersedes all of the politics that these products not only have been grown and served and consumed domestically but also have been a huge part of their export. The downside to obviously all this conflict was that it was never really invested in at a scale or developed in any sort of you know, any way that would compete with how the rest of the world was uh, adapting and interested in these products. As we saw in California, they went from you know, zero production to 80% of the world's production in that same time period.
1: Your company is, uh, is operating in Afghanistan and you're working with dried fruits and nuts and you're exporting them you could be anywhere i mean you could be in this kind of business and you could pick a country possibly easier to do business in than uh afghanistan has been over this couple decades or four or five decades really for that for that matter the world's a big place you could pick a lot of countries
0: you know it's it's a, it's a great question we probably all ask ourselves that question as well but you know, our, our our there's there's been a common thread in Afghanistan with our with, between myself and and our co-founders, and we all met in that Afghan context. We come from different career backgrounds, not in brand building or or consumer product goods, but um, in my case, in shipping and logistics in sub-Saharan Africa, East Africa, and the Middle East, uh, which brought me to Afghanistan, looking at opportunities, and where I was mesmerized by this range of dried fruits and nuts. I'm, I'm you know that was served to me in meetings and and, and through friends. Um, and as an Armenian by, by ethnicity, we're sort of very proud of our own dry fruit and nut heritage. And these were exceptional, right? Things I had never had before. And sort of it, it started to sort of turn those wheels of, you know, how do we apply this in a development context? Because shipping had, you know, which was great and it's an important part, but it was always sort of, a, a, for, a for me, a way into um, a, a more... Humanitarian uh, uh, pursuits and development pursuits, and using that background. My co-founder Patrick was a Peace Corps volunteer in Niger and West Africa for years, and and continued to work in that field. But then moved away from that in his more corporate career for a Fortune 150 company, looking at at, at, at opportunities in developing worlds, and ended up in Afghanistan as well. And that was the context. And we met. We have another co-founder who's in finance again. So it, it just it just we all love food. Love the idea of development, wanted to do something differently, have had exposure to development in many ways. And our fourth co-founder is, is an Afghan refugee who left during the Russian invasion, and ended up in, in California of all places, works in logistics, also wanted to sort of invest and reinvest in his in his in his sort of you know, homeland effectively. And so um, you know, we had a great idea. We said, how do we do something a little bit more differently? And well, let's do it in the most difficult environment to prove that this model of development works, and that is. You know, putting farmers first, putting marginalized communities first, because you know uh, we haven't discussed it, but our also our factory is uh, it runs at about eighty five percent female workforce, in, and that's from day one. Um, in the factory itself, it's actually a hundred percent. We have some male employees around as well, and we do all of the added value production, everything you know, down to the Amazon case labeling in Afghanistan, because we said we wanted to create all that value and keep all that value in country, which has not been done before there in their, in their past 40, 50 years. So that's you know, roasting, packaging, cleaning, all of the certifications. We built our factory from scratch before we had a customer. One could argue the merits of that from a business case, but it was how we wanted to approach uh, uh, um, this business at, at, at this stage.
1: Well, a couple of things you just said caught my attention. Um, one one of them is that, that it doesn't surprise me you had a partner that uh, had some Peace Corps experiences and you've had Because there's a certain mission orientation i mean you can take where's a good business opportunity but if you could be making a difference to a country or to a whole segment like agriculture um yeah i can see why that could be a priority for many of us is that hey i'm in i want to be able to help i want to make this better and the other thing you said is really interesting is how many of your workforce are women because part of the image of Afghanistan is the women have not had opportunities, education, let alone income. And that uh, and
0: that's not a perception. That's an unfortunate reality. I mean, you know, and so that, that, that's and we're, we're, we're trying to provide those opportunities, at least make a small dent in that in that imbalance.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like that that's the way to do it. I mean, to actually open, not just talk about it and say it's a good idea, but actually have a business where you can make that a practice then. And, and they're not
0: only, you know, obviously earning a, a, an income for themselves, but in generally, in almost every case, they're the primary breadwinner for families up to 10, 12 people. Um, and given where the economic kind of climate has gone there since uh, uh, two years ago, since the new government. Uh, I mean, that number may have increased in terms of the number of people that they support from an extended family. And, and, you know, when we don't employ people on a seasonal basis, I mean, these were all things that we did from from the very start, which was, you know, how do we turn this entire value chain on its head? And that's, you know, everything from how farmers are compensated, when they're compensated, to where the value addition occurs and who benefits from that. So, um, and that's everyone from, you know, who makes the local the boxes that we pack in that's done locally and who ships locally I and mean, so you affect this larger economy even in a small business when you keep that value addition in country and and uh, I, I think that that's as we said just just something that, that from the beginning we knew would be things that we, we had not seen in development in our own experiences in the past
1: you know rafi i would like to imagine myself riding along with you out and visiting a farm somewhere or visiting farmers and Uh, i wonder if you might share an experience you might have had when you've gone out and you've actually met somebody that was producing dried fruits and and nuts that your company was able to use and what's it like what's their what's their home seem like what's their attitude feel i mean what what was it like when you had one of your early opportunities to go out and visit people that are actually growing the products
0: I mean, I'll just give it a, a recent example of um, a, a farmer that we've been working with for now five years who grows uh, a lot of our, our, or collects a lot of our mulberries. Our mulberries are, are wild grown in the sense that they're not um, on orchards, but they're in kind of communal lands in, in throughout villages. And he's a village elder uh, um, who, who sort of commands a lot of the respect in that area and, and his home and his almost, I mean, there's no better way to describe it than it was almost like a Swiss Family Robinson-style sort of on the hillside series of of huts and homes, and then just trees, you know, up the mountainside, and then and then it kind of melded into other kind of home settlements, etc. All alongside, and he and and you're just sort of walking through some of these irrigation channels that were that were were had been dug over time um, up into the farms, and then just seeing post-harvest processing. This was uh, um over the summer and you know, just in full embrace of our own team members because they were had become like like family at that stage because not only you know are we their largest customer from that perspective and they are large, one of our our, our our many suppliers but but a large one I mean we for that entire hillside effectively the income that we provide them at the beginning of the harvest when we buy, you know sustains them for the entire year um and just the the general and it was, so it was it was it was wonderful to see them of course in afghan fashion um we weren't just going to you know come there and say hello it was you know the 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 red carpet treatment effectively a beautiful hike up the mountain then you know, come down there was you know this unbelievable lunch along a creek side of you know the kabuli Palau, the traditional rice you know it it was just it was just a, a, a you know a wonderful um, reminder of a lot of the, of the work that we do when we're sort of slaving at expo uh, uh, stalls, etc. Over over time, or or dealing with you know chargebacks uh-huh. from from uh-huh. distributors, etc. You kind of it's, you we need that grounding on a regular basis, and that's that's just one example. There's there's so many more farmers now that we can visit as well. Just you know just to point out that it was difficult for us to see during the um, kind of years of the insurgency strangely it's been you know now that the taliban is back and there's stability uh and and relative peace it is easier to travel to these areas so i think that's one thing that we're looking forward to doing if we look at silver linings and all this
1: so it's farm to table so tell me what was on the table what what do you eat when you sit down and uh toward the farm and you go down and have a picnic by the by the river
0: well, I, I mean, I mean, traditionally, we'll start with with a, a lot of the the kind of dried fruits and nuts of that area, you know, and and some green tea. That may be the kind of the initial sort of entry point before sort of walking. In that season, it was melon season, so we carried a whole heap of melons up and had them at the on the top of the mountain about an hour and a half in, and came back down. And then the spread was outside on a on, on a picnic, and 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 it starts with fresh bread, the the the, the non that they've but so many small clay ovens that exist sort of, you know, all around the city, much less all around uh, villages. Um, and then on top of that is is sort of where the, it's very meat and rice heavy culture and the Kabbali Palau, one of my absolute favorites, I have a, I mean, a, a terrible weakness for eating, you know, my weight's worth, but that's a traditional dish made with lamb um, and it's a, it's, it's rice with raisins, carrots, Onions, spices—it's—it's it's just absolutely
1: delicious. I want to eat that so badly. That's, that's, that's not, and that just one other question too. With a lot of these farmers, do they have sheep as well? Um, in addition, they do. To
0: they do. Um, and 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 again, uh, and we we very much appreciate that this is not how they eat every day. I think it was very much sort of in our honor shall we say and 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 uh and and was greatly appreciated but it is sort of uh um more often than not you will you will you will you will find this sort of spread when when guests are arriving Etc but um but sheep lamb even in beef and chicken are sort of are, are there there's a lot of rivers in the north you might find sort of the various river fish Etc from a protein perspective but but often uh, you know whatever vegetables and and, and um, uh, other products will be stewed and, and are just just spiced and, and, and overall just, just incredible.
1: But now the dried fruits and nuts that you, that will be available there. A lot of the products I'm, we would be familiar with here: figs and walnuts and you know pistachios and almonds and apricots. One that is, but it's the varieties easy.
0: that 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 are different. Um, you so know? so Afghanistan just just has a is an example of almonds. It's hundred and nine varieties of almonds. So you are very familiar with the the almond industry and how many are maybe available in California. But these 109, some are only grown in one valley and are not really commercially exportable because there's only, I don't know, an annual production of 300 kilograms. And they vary in size and shape and nutritional profile and oil content and sugar content. Some are in soft shells that have these two sharp points at the end, look like a crescent that you sort of break open. Others more rounded, others flatter, very sweet, almost honey-like in, in 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 taste and texture, but not roasted. Some, you know, we've tried about. We have a wall in our office still about eight. We tried in the end about eighty-five different varieties before selecting the the about three or four that we work with. Some in food service, some in retail. Um, and this also goes for for other products as well. I mean, it's not not that uh, level of range, but still many, many, many different varieties. It never went through any. Um, consolidation in the industry. As a result, you sort of are, are left with, with with just these unique varieties from from farm to farm, orchard to orchard, and, and just different names given to them just by who propagated them, you know, two centuries ago or three, three generations ago.
1: Yeah, you know, we're here in California. Uh, nearly half of them are uh, non Uh You know, we yeah. don't have nearly as many varieties. But mulberries, explain mulberries to me. You know, I, I, I really don't think I'd know them if I saw them.
0: So um, um, uh, mulberries is, a, um, a again, another, a family of, uh, of, of, of fruits that you often see, uh, strangely enough, in the Midwest, sort of long and berry-like, almost like a, a, a uh, um, raspberry, et cetera, but that's, that's extended or elongated. And it comes in different colors white red a blend you, you know, they're very common in you know in Georgia and Armenia in Iran and Afghanistan so this is traditionally sort of where mulberries are going but you do have different varieties of them in America very tart um and that they do have a sweetness to them um and the variety that we've sort of um, that 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 we have processed and, and we buy and we and we, 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 we sell are a very rare, version of a white mulberry. So not only within the white mulberry family, there's a, um, a, a variety that's often a little bit north of Kabul and also quite far north in Badakhshan in, in the northeast of the country that when dried has a very crunchy like texture. That's It's al- extremely sweet and also extremely tart at the same time, sort of all in the same bite. I mean, totally unique from a flavor profile. Um, you often do see mulberries now in the market, um, mainly from Turkey, that are chewy and soft, don't have nearly that that punch or that texture that 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 we found out of the Afghan ones that we love.
1: You know, when I think of all that variety, it sounds really, really interesting. But my goodness, it must be challenging to have all of that variety and then market them and be able to go globally at, at any kind of scale, because I mean, I get it. I would like to know there's this certain farmer that has a certain variety of mulberries or or maybe even these almonds that are different too. And I said, gee, I want that one. But how can you as a company, you know, gather up all no no. so so
0: out of all those, we, we do select varieties that we know have quite strong annual production that we're not gonna run into any kind of supply issues, you know, uh, until we get to a stage where we're far bigger than our wildest dreams from that perspective. So there's still quite a bit of annual production. Um, As, as far as Ziba is concerned, I think we're the only company in the country that buys in advance of the harvest, you know, paying a deposit and pays in full. So from that perspective, we're also not worried about supply of someone sweeping it because this has been part of the problem over the last 40, 50 years um, is is that the farmer has been the point of leverage in the whole value chain where, where traders who, who do know that there's good product there will buy or will, will take product on consignment from farmers or cooperatives, bring them maybe to Turkey, India or Pakistan. Possibly, you know, give them fifty cents on the dollar if they're lucky. A year later, saying, "Well, I wasn't able to sell it, or the price dropped, or whatever it may be," and you know, they have no, you know, say in the matter. Further than that, um, what it's done to the industry is 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 if they blend last year's crop with this year's crop, you know, quality is inconsistent. So buyers in general just feel, well, I know that Afghan products are. Are, are they're supposed to be amazing. I'd heard this from you know two generations back, but now, well, there's no consistency, and I can't invest in a brand with no consistency. So you know that early feedback is what what you know led us to saying, well, you know we have to control that aspect from the start. And to your point, you know consumer education about these varieties, about Afghanistan, about you know uh, uh, what the country looks like, not in a wartime context, is, is, is a is a high hurdle. Um, and that's and that's something that we've we've been working towards for sure through you know it, opportunities like today and our Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. and of course, on the packaging itself.
1: So what about training farmers? because I'm, I'm, a lot of what you've described, I can imagine people are f- passing it down from generation to generation. But there must be some some new techniques or uh, some new approaches or some variations in in practices or marketing. I guess what I'm getting at here in the states we have the extension service and we have land grant universities is is, is is there any kind of similar support in Afghan today for farmers
0: There today not as much as there were It maybe and you know, the USAID had, had 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 a large agricultural program for you know what they called high value agricultural crops you know where People, experts would come in from mainly from California, who were familiar with the industry overall, and come and you know meet farmers and try to understand their practice and you know try to place equipment in. Unfortunately, it was it was a lot of those did not let's say work from a commercial perspective because you were missing the market link. So a lot of farmers, well, they practice. They practice. Some of them are so small that give them what we buy from. They're not. It's not thousands of you know, tons or pounds or whatever, it's, it's, it could be as little as 10 trees. Right. And, you know, and it it gets, so educating them at scale, what we've tended to do, and it's not to say that that we probably couldn't, we're not experts in the growing. They are clearly growing wonderful product. If they need support, tarps, um, understanding of after the post-harvest process to make sure, you know, that that, the things are not stuck in any sort of water to prevent aflatoxin sort of you know and all the all these sort of steps we aid in that education and be able to um are able to sort of you know take product post-harvest right to our factory and so that we can store it pre-processing in a in a, in a safe way so that has been a, a learned process over time um, but beyond that a lot of the education that we do especially when farmers are not literate for example are creating videos, both in Dari and Pashto, around our practice, um, around, um, let's call it the the anti-child, sla- you know, child sort of working, not necessarily slavery in that way, but around trying to make sure that children, you know, we're paying, we do these things because we want their children, I, we all know that they're going to work on the farm, but not to not go to school as a result of working on the farm, right? So, so there's that level of education. It's less on the technical side and more, I think, on the development side that we tend to focus ourselves.
1: So if you're a farmer with a large family and you have um, you have trees, you're producing you know the the fruits and nuts that you're able to use. Um, do they have to have a combination of enterprises to support their family? As a, what's it, it, it typically? Do they have to have an off farm income as well, or? Is, it, is No, it
0: just- it's it's generally from from this from this this rate. I, I think what they'll do is they'll also may have, as you said, some some sheep or some livestock and and their own uh, uh, small agricultural parcel for vegetables and things of this nature. But generally speaking, uh, you know, agriculture of some form sustains eighty uh, percent of the of the of the economy of Afghanistan, even even now.
1: So one of the things that's happening, I think, with food today is it's matching up with consumers' expectations and major companies' expectations that they want to see food that's grown sustainably, uh, that's climate friendly, regenerative, all these different terms. How do you uh, align with the interest of really of the market down the line?
0: I think we're, we're quite proud of the fact that maybe we're on the earlier side of, of, of the trend. But as you said, consumers really want to know where their food comes from and how it's grown. I think that there that is a generational change in, in that process. And we definitely are able to tell that story and we try to tell that story. It's important to understanding not only the mission, but the products and the, sometimes the cost as well to sort of get a concept of that whole supply chain. Um, but from a sustainability perspective, one thing that we also are are are, are, are we tend to um, highlight is the fact that these are all naturally irrigated from snowmelt. You know, we're we're surrounded. So I mentioned all these beautiful valleys uh, in and around the country, but that's are valleys in between the lower Himalayas and the Hindu Kush mountain ranges. This northern part of the country, which is still gets tremendous amounts of snow in the winter you know that all flows and and just creates this 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 unbelievable uh, fertile soil it's not you know using water table resources etc as we've seen in so many parts of the world um and you know furthermore one of our products you know uh, from uh, from 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 that that perspective our apricot kernels are you know utilize the internal pit of the apricot which generally has been used you know for marzipan because it's very bitter in much of the the world in terms of 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 um, uh, the particular variety but the afghan variety of apricot that we work with produces a sweet kernel does not have the amygdalin which is sort of you know gives that 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 bitterness and is just you know high in protein calcium levels and we slightly roast it use a little bit of afghan salt and it's an incredibly delicious product
1: wow man well what most people do
0: possibly considered upcycling from the perspective of of the industry in terms of, of you know what we're seeing that like all of the conversations uh, um when we're attending food shows etc sort of you know uh, be around
1: so so rafi uh, your company then is uh, you you're processing these products and you're marketing them all over the world how many how many countries are your products oh, no I mean,
0: we're, we're the us is a big is a big uh, uh market for us we also supply to um central europe through a distributor in denmark and also in the Middle East through the United Arab Emirates. We've mm-hmm. had a foray into the UK as well and Singapore, but you know, our focus has re- has really been around around the US US market. You know, starting in, initially in in food service, working with you know the fine dining sector where people were looking for unique flavors and tastes, and it got us sort of uh, mm-hmm. um not feeling like we're on our own echo chamber, that these great palates also love the product. And that that helped us um I think have the confidence to launch a retail product at the end of uh, of 2018, early 2019, and and from there we've have you know, grown the 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 offering and and are available in in you know a lot of a lot of specialty stores, but also in sort of mainstream grocery stores and of course online, etc.
1: So where would I look? Where would somebody look and say that I want to be able to try some of these products so, that you're producing?
0: You know, anywhere from you know, a lot of the the, the Kroger branders for for example, of you know, Ralph's um, in Southern California and. Um, King Supers and in in, in in the Denver area and um, World Market carries some of our products as well. Um, Erewhon, maybe some of your listeners know in, in in Los Angeles, sort of a fun store to to spend a good amount of money in, but but nonetheless, have, you know, beautiful products. Um, Mom's Organic on the East Coast, uh, Whole Foods in the Mid Atlantic, um, so a, a range of stores, and also some great you know specialty stores like who have been supportive us early on, like <laughs> Buy Right and Market Hall in California in in the Bay Area, um, and to to similar stores in the East Coast.
1: Boy, well, I can't wait! I'm going to take a. Uh... You know, I want to go out and visit. I want looking forward to you sometime having a QR code on there and visit to one of these farms that you've that's did.
0: that's the intention for sure to give that traceability. We've just added a QR code to the packaging, and so that and that right now maybe leads to our website, etc., for further information. But we're what we're trying to move that towards is, um, to actually the farmer itself, and so our batch traceability system that we've implemented and gotten even, <laughs> you know, a further, further, uh, uh um, siloed into like kind of um 25 kg lots should should give us that visibility or should give the consumer the visibility of of who they're who's whose product they're eating in their bag
1: yeah yeah some of my listeners will realize that i had a story about qr code i had a podcast about it because it it's that opportunity to bring the stories even closer so that when you're picking up a a product that you can go back and see the pharma came from and i'm still trying to get in my mind, that picture of your visiting the farm and having and the lunch you described. I'll, I'll send
0: it to you after after this this call. It was, <laughs> it was it was it was really one of the highlights of this year. Uh, there's no no question.
1: I, I, I want to pause just a second, uh, and before we wrap up, and re- be sure we're getting uh, where people can get more information on Ziba Foods and it's Z I B A Foods is it just Z I B A
0: F O O D S dot com and and you know the website of course you can buy the full range of products there and of course have a lot of information including at zeba foods for from our instagram um and but available you know from a purchase perspective of on on amazon.com of course and 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 you know about now 1, 12 1300 retailers in the us but as far as you know getting a sense of you know our mission our product range um your stories with our farmers i would say that our website and 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 our and our social media are are, are great Great places to start.
1: Rafi, one other question I want to ask you, and that is, how'd you get into this? I mean, there must have been a time in your life you didn't think you would be doing dried fruit and nuts and uh, in <laughs> Afghanistan. That is correct. So, so how did, in, in what brought I always you try to this? figure
0: out a, a a brief brief version of this story, but as I mentioned, my, my backgrounds in shipping and logistics and shipping as an industry is one that deals uh, a lot in the developing world. And I studied development at university and and, and lived in South Africa after after uh, um, university to start my career, and also worked in East Africa on the Horn of Africa um, before being in the Middle East and explored opportunities in sort of difficult, let's call it difficult markets and challenging markets. And I I was working in more, let's say, a dirtier side to the commodity business, coal, iron, ore, steel, etc. And you know, though it's fascinating and and an important and skill set, when I wanted to kind of apply that in a different light, and when I had these dry fruits and nuts, how can these not be marketed? I looked at it as initially a logistics issue. Afghanistan's a landlocked country, um, and then a marketing issue as well. And I think from that point, it was here is I've been working in this industry. I can actually apply these skills. And do something with it, um, and I think our my you know I found like minded people that felt the same way about their previous careers. And the hardest thing we've done is actually try to build a brand and navigate U.S. retail more than it has been. I mean, working with the Taliban in 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 when that transitionary period was 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 cake in comparison. Let's put it that
1: way. So, boy, that sounds like a, another podcast right there. And then I guess the, then the final question I have for you uh, when. You see this path that you're on where the company is on you're seeing what's happening with farmers and afghanistan you look down the road what makes you the most optimistic what is it that you see that um, where we're headed that makes you feel good about the future
0: well i i think as, as a as a model not just for afghanistan we'd love more companies and businesses to sort of exist like ours in the country, because there's there's so many products, there's so much that that is out there. So we'd we love to be a, you know, we'd love copycats. From that perspective, we know how difficult it is to build a brand, but not difficult to invest in in, in value addition at the source. Mm-hmm. And you know, from that template, if we're able to replicate this in other difficult areas where we've had you know, work experience you know, in my case in Somalia and, and Djibouti where you know and Eastern Ethiopia, credible dried mangoes etc or, or or Patrick, my co-founder's experience in West Africa and in Niger and also in Uganda that he does current work in you know in ground nuts and and certain other products where you know that that have these massive logistics challenges, incredibly beautiful products that that are indigenous to the areas. it's a marketing issue and we have a supply chain and a brand that we're building. And we'd love to figure out how to sort of match these up and 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 grow that sort of, because the consumer response to understanding these stories, understanding really what farm to table now means, I mean, at, at, at this really core basic level um, and supporting it is is highly encouraging.
1: You know, I, I guess the, the one question that will come up with some people's mind is that they're challenged these days to not even fly as much as they did because it's, you know, just making a bigger carbon footprint but when people challenge moving products from around the world is there an answer to that as far as people that are concerned that we're you know using too much carbon putting too much carbon into the atmosphere from moving moving the products um that's not a very good question i'm afraid but i'm
0: no it's 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 a tough one to to it's it's a totally valid point i think when and, and and not to discount it, but when you get into the nuance of the of the, that comparison in the sense of if if the comparison is around eating local almonds versus Afghan almonds, what is the carbon footprint and the water usage of a local almond? And does that offset greatly even moving the, the goods from Afghanistan? plus sort of the entire value chain you know prior to that plus the development impact i i, I think you know these are they're, they're 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 always open but you know i guess from our our perspective you know we're, we're trying to um, our our primary mission is around the 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 betterment of 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 marginalized communities and these people you know that and, and farmers and partners that we work with and I think we, we we try to do that in the markets that I think are more responsive to the products.
1: Well, I'm impressed with what you're doing. And I'm also impressed, too, that you've got goals in mind to try to help that whole community, uh, even your company being able to em- employ women uh, at a much higher percentage than than maybe has been traditional for some time. And uh, so, Rafi Vartanian, I really appreciate your taking this time to join us on Farm to Table Talk.
0: The pleasure was all mine, and and it was was wonderful to meet you.
1: You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.